Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, we want to discuss on the programme a binge eating disorder. It came up in one of the conversations that we were having on the show last week or the week before when we had, we were talking about addictions and um, a number of people got in touch with us to talk about their own personal first-hand experience of addiction to food. Um, It was a topic that we'd already discussed among the uh, editorial team, uh, something that doesn't get an awful lot of attention. But we are always... uh, discussing the obesity issue. We heard even as recently as yesterday about a new drug that had been trialled here in Ireland uh, to combat obesity. One in four Irish adults is obese. Now, you know, quite often people are, are quick to rush to judgment saying that, uh, you know, people are, are lazy or that, they, you know, that they they just don't eat properly or that they're, you know, they're not fueling their body and that they're maybe not well informed. But but in actual fact, and we, and we heard from medical evidence, that it is in actual fact, you know, a recognised eating disorder. We're all very familiar with anorexia and the horrors that go with it and bulimia. But overeating is also a problem that has huge um, emotional and and health impacts, physical health impacts on people who suffer from it. Overeaters Anonymous is one of the support groups that are there for people who do find themselves in the grip or, or I suppose, realise that they're in the grip of um, an eating disorder, a binge eating disorder. John is a member of Overeaters Anonymous and joins us on the show today. John, thanks very much for taking the time out to talk to us about this, which is a very um, emotional issue and one, as I said, that doesn't get an awful lot of attention. I, I guess it doesn't. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, it's you know, for me, it's it, it's got a lot of attention in me from me in my life. You know, I spent twenty years of my life compulsively overeating. You know, and I tried every everything I could think of. You know, to to fix what I thought was my problem. You know, and um, it wasn't until I went into Overeaters Anonymous uh, five years ago that that I finally found a solution to the problem of overeating. Did you yourself recognise that this was an eating disorder? Because I think people generally look at people who are overweight or obese and dismiss it as being, you know, a greed or, uh, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't doesn't care. Yet they'll look at somebody who has anorexia or bulimia and, and view it through very sympathetic and empathetic eyes. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the um, medical... Um idea of an eating disorder is but I know for me I couldn't stop eating and I, and I wanted to stop but I couldn't and I tried everything I tried all the diets you've ever heard of I went to all the clubs I went to counsellors I went to hypnotists you know you name it I went there I read all the books I did everything but I still couldn't stop so I had all the knowledge but I, I couldn't stop myself from eating and it, it was only by going to Overeaters Anonymous that I finally found a way out one of um, the people who was in touch with the show last week, a woman called Debbie, she was saying that it, that it is, to her, it's an addiction, an addiction to food. Yeah, for me, my behaviour was definitely um, very similar to an addiction, you know, um, and that, that for me means, you know, when I wanted to stop doing it, I couldn't, no matter what I tried. And, um, you know, like, like many addictions, you know, there are 12-step fellowships out there for various different addictions and, and 
I suppose they all work in the same way and, and working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous is what um, finally freed me from, from my um, compulsive overeating. And tell us a little bit about when this issue began for you. I mean, it began as, like, as early as I can remember. As early as I can remember. Now, I, I don't know if I was born with it. Did I pick it up along the way? Did I catch it up someone? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, the, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But what I do know is, you know, as, as early as I can remember, food was a huge thing for me. You know, food was what I went to when I was happy, when I was sad. You know, whatever emotion I was feeling, I turned to food, and food was always there. And I was obsessed with food. I was obsessed from a very early age. And I always wanted more, and I was always trying to find out ways to get more. I was always sneaking food when, you know, as a child, I was always trying to eat more and sneak food from the kitchen. As I got older and and started to get my own money, I was using that money to buy it. I was, you know, driving around town you know, visiting different shops and takeaways and, and all sorts of different things, you know, getting the food that I need. Um, so it, it started for me quite young. And obviously, you know, I wasn't eating the same amount when I was a kid as I was towards the end. You know, it progressed. It got worse. And every time, you know, maybe like there were like a couple of periods in my life when I could kind of stick to a diet for a month or two or three, you know. But every time after that, I'd go back and, and I'd start eating more than before the diet. You know, I, I was overeating even more and it just got worse and worse and worse. So when it got to the end, you know, just before I went into Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I was just eating huge volumes of food. You know, going to the supermarket and spending 50, 60 euros on food and eating that all in, in, in one day. You know, just crazy amounts of food, you know. And, and I knew. You know, I knew that, like, you know, I wasn't sitting there 20 stone going, I don't know how I got this big. You know, mm. I knew what what I was doing, but I couldn't stop myself from doing it. But but you mentioned actually going to different shops and different takeaways. I mean, that that is reminiscent, really, of stories that you'll hear an alcoholic say about the fact that they went to different off-licenses or different pubs to drink in. Yeah, yeah, because I wanted to, you know, spread it around. You know, I didn't want any one shopkeeper or takeaway person, you know, seeing the amount of food I was eating. Mm. So I'd spread it out or I wouldn't go to the same place. You know, I go to a different place every night. You know, and that was my way of, I suppose, keeping some tiny bit of dignity. You know, I don't know if it worked, but um, yeah, it was just a a way for me to, to not be as embarrassed as I was. So there's an element of shame attached to this then. I mean, yeah, there's was, there was a huge amount of shame. Like, for most of my life, I thought I was the only person that did this. I thought I was the only person that ate like that because I didn't see anybody else doing it. You know, I didn't hear of anybody else talking about it. You know, the, I, I just thought I was I was this, you know, one-off doing it. You know, and it, it wasn't until I went into Overeaters Anonymous that I met other people that did the exact same thing that I did. You know, but they actually had stopped. You know, and they had no desire to do it anymore. Mm. You know, and, and that's the biggest relief I got from Overeaters Anonymous you know I'm not stopping myself the the obsession has been removed from me you know my life is completely different now beyond my wildest dreams and that's wonderful to hear we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute if you don't mind but did you eat like getting back to the shame element did you find like were you eating in secret oh yeah all my eating was in secret it was always by myself in secret you know I ate normally when I was with other people you know, whether I was with my family or my friends or, 
you know, wherever I ate a normal portion. But, you know, I always went straight somewhere else. You know, I was always trying to get away from that and get away from them so I could then go and eat what I really wanted to eat. So, like, many times I would have a dinner with, with family or friends or whatever it was, and then two hours later I'd be in the takeaway, you know, even an hour later if I could get away that quick, you know, having what I wanted because that the, the first meal didn't satisfy me, so I needed this other food, you know. It was, it was always in secret. You mentioned that you tried every diet going. You know, I, again, I think that's something that maybe people who aren't aware of this uh, illness kind of think it's simple that you, you, you know, you go to Weight Watchers or you go to Slimming World or you go to Unislim or you go to any of, you know, or you follow the Atkins diet or, and it resolves the problem. But, but, but you know, you said you did, you did a lot of that. You, tr- you tried all of that. So, are you of the view then that this is, it's not something that you can fix just by wanting to eat a particular way, that you have to get to the emotional underlying causes or reasons at the root cause of it? I mean, every time I was on a diet, it, it, it felt like my back was up against the door and there was something on the other side of that door trying to kick it down. You know, and, and sometimes I could hold on for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Other times I couldn't even hold on for a couple of hours. You know, and this thing would come in and just break down the door, and, and I'd have to go back eating. You know, I couldn't stop that. That was, it was that thing that was the problem, you know, and that is my compulsive overeating, you know, and, and, and I couldn't figure it out. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about it, you know, and, and all those diets and everything that I tried, you know, I, I was trying to treat the symptom, you know, my, my, my weight, my, the extra weight I was carrying. Yeah. That's what I thought was my problem. I thought it was the weight. You know, if I just got to the goal weight, I'd be okay. I wouldn't need to eat like this anymore. If I just, you know, looked good in these clothes, you know, that's what I thought. But those things didn't matter. I couldn't stop eating, no matter what weight I was. And, you know, your family, what was their awareness of what was actually going on with you? I mean, obviously, they saw that you were... Um, heavy, they they you you tried as best you could to hide you, you know your your overeating from them, but they must have had some sense or, or awareness. Did they try to speak to you? Did anyone try to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean you know like any loving family, you know they encouraged me to 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 try and do something about my weight. But you know it's it's very hard for people who don't have what I have to understand. You know, and like I didn't even understand. So how could they understand? You know what I mean? You know for for. All most people see is the, is the symptom, you know, which is the weight. So it's it's, but it's it's that's not the problem, you know. And what about the judgment that you were on the receiving end of? I mean, clearly you were judging yourself throughout all of this, but were you on the receiving end of judgment from others as well? Did you have people who said to you, you know, you really should watch what you're eating or you really should exercise more? Well-meaning, maybe, in, in, in many cases, but, but who nonetheless were were judging you? I mean, yeah, I probably was over the years. Yeah, I probably had some comments here or there, but, you know, people will be people. And you managed to block most of that out. I mean, it's yeah. You just have to get on with it, don't you? I mean, when you're, you know, you just like when you're when you're in that space, you know, it's there's nothing you can do. You know, you just have to swallow it and, and move on. You know, 
And talk to us then about the recovery process. You've mentioned a number of times Overeaters Anonymous. At what point did you become aware of them, realise that this was actually something that maybe you could get help from or you could help yourself with with Overeaters Anonymous? Yeah, I suppose, like like most people, I had, I had heard of 12-step groups, you know, before um, through the media, through TV and, and movies and all that sort of stuff. And by the time I kind of, I, I just before I came into OA, I, I had heard of some people doing it, you know, and and it kind of made me think, you know, maybe maybe something like that could help me, you know, and I basically just looked it up online, and just had this feeling, you know, I don't know why, but I just had this feeling that 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 this might work or this might help, you know, it didn't it it didn't give much information online, but I just I just had a sense that it was it would be right for me, and mm. I just went along to to a meeting. You know, and for the first time in my life, I, I heard people saying things that I did, you know, that I'd never heard before. You know, like I mentioned earlier, like having eating in secret, mm-hmm. eating extra meals, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and I never knew anyone else did like did that. And the people that were saying this, you know, that I was looking at didn't look like me. You know, they looked healthy. You know, they, they had good lives, you know, and, and I wanted what they had, you know, and, and that's what I suppose kept me there. And without going into too much detail, Overeaters Anonymous is, is a 12-step is a programme. But, but what has it done for you? What has it given you? Where are you now? I mean, it's given me a brand new life. You know, I, I mean, it's not a diet. It's not anything like that. But, but I have had physical recovery. You know, I've gone from a top weight of somewhere around 20 stone to a weight now somewhere in around 12 stone. You know, so I, I, to anybody looking at me, I look like, you know, an, a healthy healthy person you know but all areas of my life have improved my relationships with my family and friends have improved you know the things that I always wanted to do that I could never do you know just something so simple as you know taking my t-shirt off when I'm on holidays and going for a swim without being completely paranoid that everyone's looking at me and laughing at me you know just being able to you know sit in a chair and not worry about it breaking you know small little things that probably most people wouldn't understand you know are, are yeah just been an absolute miracle in my life. And so recovery is there, it's possible. What would you say to anyone, John, who's listening to the programme today who is in a situation like you were? I would say go to a meeting, overeatersanonymous.ie. All our meetings are listed there. Find one and go. There's no cost involved. You don't have to do anything. You can just go and listen and see if if it's right for you. There's no pressure, nothing like that. Try it out. What's the worst that could happen? Absolutely. What's the worst that can happen? Overeatersanonymous.ie. John, thanks very much for joining us and sharing your story today. This is striking a chord with you. Are you somebody who has, like John has said there, maybe driven around to different takeaways on different nights of the week or, you know, rushes off after a family meal to get to another room where you can eat privately yourself? Get in touch with the show and let us uh, know your story. 087-188-0008. Tara Duggan, Ian for Nile today. 087-188-0008 is the WhatsApp number to get in touch with the programme we were discussing with John there his experience of um, binge eating disorder and he reached out to Overeaters Anonymous and has turned his life around but you know are you eating much more than you feel you should are you eating quickly 
Do you feel? Do you eat until you feel uncomfortably full? Do you eat large amounts of food even when you're not feeling physically hungry? Are you eating alone in secret because you're embarrassed? Do you feel disgusted with yourself or depressed after you've eaten? Are you like John, somebody who's gone around from shop to shop and from takeaway to takeaway because you don't want any one person in a retail outlet or a fast food joint knowing the issues that you might have with food? Get in touch with the programme if you want to share your story with us. Helen O'Leary, you're a food addiction therapist. Hi Tara, how are you? Good, yeah, thanks I just for getting in touch to... with us. Sure, I just wanted to say thanks to John there. His story was amazing and that's really courageous for him to come on and, and share that. So typical of a food addict, a compulsive overeater, you know, and I'm so delighted that he had the courage to come on and highlight this because it's a huge, it's a huge issue. It is a huge issue. And I mean, I did, you know, refer to it almost as the unknown eating disorder because we're all yeah. familiar with the other types of eating disorder. Yeah. And I have to say that, you know, it, John John's story is resonating with a lot of people because already, again, we've had, you know, a huge volume of messages into the programme. Um, uh, you know, and we will be hearing other people's stories as well. So it is something that is a part of a lot of people's lives. It, it is. And I suppose... Like the similarity between the the food addiction and the compulsive overeating and like drug addiction or alcohol addiction, while there's similarities, there's also a difference because in some way, I suppose, like the, the, the alcoholism is more honest. You can see when somebody is drunk, you can see the dysfunction when, you know, the, the unmanageability it's causing. But for the person that suffers from, from the food addiction, it's much more silent. It's much more silent. Very often you have people, you know, in really good jobs, getting on with their lives, leading a double life, leading a double life. And I suppose the difference with, with the food addiction in comparison to, say, the, the, the booze and, and the drugs is there's not that euphoria that's associated with it. But but you the person is hijacked, you know. There is the um, trigger cravings. Um, compulsive ingestion, inability to regulate the amounts that they're taking, you know, the time spent going, as John described beautifully, going around from place to place, getting your stuff, you know. There's a whole secret life going on and there's a huge amount of people suffering and the shame and the embarrassment and the hopelessness and the helplessness, it's, it's really, really time that we put our hand out and say, okay, we, we can do something about this. Because there, there is a way out of it. As, as John described there, the, the OA Fellowship, absolutely fantastic. OA is around since the 1960s. So they, they, they recognize the, the addictive qualities, I suppose, in some of the foods. Yeah. And, and I suppose, Tara, like, we're talking about sometimes, most of the time when we talk about eating disorders, it's about the, the, the anorexic, it's about the person not eating, you know. We have at the polar opposite end of the scale, the compulsive overeater that can't stop eating. And here's the thing, Helen, you were talking about the comparison, relative mm-hmm. comparison with things like drug addiction and alcohol addiction, but whereby you, in recovery, can stay away from places where you're going to have access to alcohol and you can stay away from maybe people that you would have, uh, you know, engaged in drug abuse with. Sure. You can't stay away from food. You have to eat. 
Of course, and I think that there's a bit of a myth around that too, around you can't stay away from food. It's not all foods, it's particular types of food. Tara, the, 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 the food systems that, we, that we, we get our foods from these days are not comparable to the food systems that were around in the 70s, the 60s. You know, they're completely different food systems. So is it, the f- because, you know, when people talk about addiction issues, and, and we spoke, mm-hmm. one of our callers last week was talking about how she has a food addiction, which yeah. she relates to her, which she related to her mother's depression. And she knew when she came in from school on a daily basis and she smelt food that it was going to be a good, happy day in the house. And so she had that association between food and happiness, okay? And Absolutely. comfort and content. But are you saying that in actual fact, it may not be like some of, or not always like some of the more traditional addictions that we're aware of, whereby it's masking a need or it's, you know, covering up an emotional hole, that in actual fact, sometimes it's the food itself that is what's addictive you know it's all of those things because a lot of people that like your lady last week that spoke last week it it is about that it is about stuff it is about the environment that somebody grows up in or it can be about the environment it can be about the emotional eating absolutely But, but it can also be about the type of food that has been eaten and I think this is what's happening like for somebody that's a food addict to be asked to regulate the food and told to moderate the food is isn't they they know they can't do it. So this is like the types of diets that John spoke yeah. to us about. Uh, they know they can't do it. They know it's not possible. People people have tried and tried and tried and tried. You know, this idea of move more and and eat less that doesn't work for somebody that's addicted to food right. no more than you no more than you'd tell an alcoholic to regulate their drinking because mm. they know that's not possible the same the, the same thing is happening with with food addiction but it is it's about the nature of the person it's about the nature of the environment that they grew up in and it's also about the nature of the food that they're eating all of those things come into play. It's about marketing. It's about, mm. you spoke about that last week. We, we go into the whole psychology field around marketing. There's a whole, how, how those foods are developed, you know. They're highly addictive. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, there's a book, I think, that everybody should educate themselves around. And it's called Salt, Sugar and Fat. How the Food Giants Hooked Us. It's by uh, Michael Moss. It's a really, really interesting read. I think we need to educate ourselves around that kind of stuff. Helen, stay with us on the line. I want to bring Adam on now. Adam, you were listening to uh, what John had to say at the start of the programme and and it resonated with you. Oh, hi, Dara. Yeah, I'm I'm nearly 40 now. (laughs) Well, I've had kind of an overweight issue since since I was basically a teenager. Um, and it actually started once I left school and left home kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the freedom and like, if you get your own money, you can buy your own stuff, which then lead to, led to no restrictions, no limits, that kind of thing. Um, and that led down a path of, well, binge eating as it is. And I, I didn't even know Overeaters Anonymous was a thing. I genuinely left that here listening to that guy and honestly I had tears in my eyes because it was like it just resonated it hit me like a, a brick over the head hmm. and so 
for you, you f- it wasn't so much an emotional issue. It was it was actually the food. It's exactly what Helen O'Leary has been saying to us there that that in addition to to some of the more emotional triggers, that, that the food itself in many cases is addictive. Uh, yeah, basically the freedom, the psychology of it, I suppose. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, obviously, but <laughs> I've spoken to a few uh, therapists and stuff. And they they all put it down to, you know, maybe a stricter upbringing, not in a bad way. It's just a case of, you know, when your parents say no, the first thing you do when you can get yes is, is just do it, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, you know, I was in Dublin a few years ago and I got into a taxi and the guy, the guy just immediately said, Oh bloody hell, you're heavy, and I was like, oh, and I just cringed. Mm. <laughs> and I was going from the bus station to uh, one of the hotels in in, in the centre, and I've been twice since, and ever since then I've walked the distance uh, due to kind of embarrassment. Um, but then I will kind of go out, and then we'll have our meals, and we'll, we'll eat a lot. Um, I will buy the special food, as we call it. You know what I mean? You know, you go down the centre aisle in certain brand supermarkets and it's all cheap on offer just because you can. Uh, you'll fill your basket, you'll spend 100 euros and then realise when you got home you've actually got no real food, you've just got snacks and then you eat all those snacks within a day or two uh, and that's a lot of money. And what about the stories that John told us about, you know, eating in secret, wanting to get away from the dinner table or, you know, if you were eating in company to get into a room by yourself to eat some more? Oh yeah, there's, there's times when you you leave the lounge and you go to the kitchen and you have a quick snack while the fridge door's open. You know, just while you're picking up a drink, you'll have a quick bag of crisps or something, and that helps. I mean, that happens a lot. It's, it's quite not horrible. Um, so it was not as, as much. You know, I wouldn't. I do tend to feel hungry myself right after a big meal, which is really weird. Mm. I rarely get full, um, which it, 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 it's a weird sensation. You can feel immediately full. And then within half an hour, you're like, oh, my God, I'm actually hungry. You're not hungry. I know this. Yeah. But your body, you're fighting it in your head. Yeah. So then you go and have a quick snack. Then you have some biscuits with a cup of tea. And it's like, oh, okay. What have you tried? I mean, you mentioned there that you, you know, you've spoken to psychotherapists <clears throat> about it. What, what what have you tried to, to, to um, do I've to had, help this? <laughs> I've, I've been in and out of Slimming World, uh, Keto, uh, I even did a, one called Lipitrim a few years ago, uh, and I lost it, which is that's like a powder, so it's like food replacement. Yeah. So I didn't actually eat food for a year. I, I just had the milkshakes, and I, while they were horrible, I lost 10 stone. Um, but then literally the week I came off it, I put all the weight back on. Not in a week, but I, I yeah. started to put weight on right away. So you went... And that, you yeah, went, the psychology in... was, uh-oh, I started putting weight on, what's the point? And then I started eating. You more go back again to that vicious was, cycle again. Yeah, and uh, it's horrible. Yeah, Helen, stay with us, Adam. Stay on the line, Helen. You know, again, so many more people messaging into the program when they're listening to Adam and they're listening to John, and a huge part of the cycle that they seem to be explaining is is how they emotionally beat themselves up then when they have tried something and maybe had. A weight loss, and I want to stress this is not about weight loss. This is about a, you know a, a, a more serious, recognised medical condition than than sure. being overweight. But sure. but, but it, this this sort of you know flogging themselves for having what's perceived as a success, and then only going backwards when they when they go to eat in inverted commas normally again. It's part of the cycle. It's all part of the cycle, Tara. Hi, Adam. Um, Hi. 
about about less than one percent of people who go on diets and and lose weight actually keep the weight off. That's that's yeah. that's that's a statistic. And I think Adam, what you're describing there is food cravings rather than hunger, yeah. and the nature of those particular foods. They are set up. They are developed to to do that. And we we don't know that. In our, these are modern foods. These are chemical processes. They are designed to set up cravings. Like yeah. everybody yeah. knows that you you eat something and you of that nature and you're hungry and you're more hungry and that's there's, there's a whole process that happens there around that. So cravings is one of the is is one of the um, key factors in food addiction process absolute cravings and people can't stop and I'm just so sorry Adam that you 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 know had that horrible experience with the taxi driver because people comment people and and they feel that they they, they can comment and they feel that it's okay to comment and it's not okay it's Mm. it's absolutely not okay people are suffering and I've had I've had five weddings that I've cancelled because I, when I've been invited as a guest, and I've cancelled them because I know I don't want to be in as this is an overweight issue, but because I don't want to be seen in public, you know, my partner and that, um, we just shy away from society as as, as it was. Uh, you know, we go shopping, we go everywhere, but if it's a public event or we have to dress up, we can't get the clothes, or we don't want to spend the money on the clothes, or mm. travelling because of the we don't fit in a plane seat properly. You know, um, you know, I, I, I do travel. And I do fit if I squeeze in, but then it's not fair on the other person. So I know what's good for me, if that makes sense, but I don't do it. I don't follow my own advice. So it's like, it's like I know a salad's good for me, but, you know, if it's a, a pack of biscuits, that's better. But I think what we're hearing, Adam, is it's an extremely complex problem. And I'll come back to Helen now in a moment for, for some yeah. advice that she may have for you. But, but you know, you heard John there. He... Uh, went to Overeaters Anonymous he was talking about how now he can go on holiday and go to the beach and just go for a swim and whip his t-shirt off and and, and not feel any of the things that he felt before I mean you're saying you can't you haven't travelled or you haven't gone to weddings or you know you, you go go to the shops and, and that's it and it's so limiting on your life what are the things you want to be able to do that you can't do right now? Um, well, excluding the situation in the world, I want to travel again. You know, I want to sit in a plane. I want to go. It sounds silly. I want to use a certain plane company. I don't know if I can name them. Well, no, no let's, let's not go um, there. But I under, but I understand. Obviously, you know what I mean? if, like, if you're if you're booking a flight, yeah, if you're booking a yeah. flight, you need to know that you can fit in the seat. Yeah, and I know I know I'm one of these people that I won't do it. I'm not going to go in and then take up two seats, or mm. I'm not going to take up. A seat and make the person next to me feel uncomfortable. I'll just avoid that situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one of these people that's like demanding that people, you know, adjust to me. I'm pulling myself away, trying to adjust to everyone else because I know it's in my head that it's wrong, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. Because, like you said, I actually wrote it down. But you just mentioned it as, as, as you were talking to Helen originally. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't avoid food. It's like it, it's that drug addiction where. You can avoid, I assume, I've never been in that situation. Um, you can disassociate with drug addicts and, and alcoholics and stay away from the off-license. But you can't stay away from the supermarket. You can't stay away from online shopping. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Helen, I want I just give the, the final word to you, Adam. I hope that uh, and any, you know, other people who've been in touch with the programme today as well, who are who are really hearing what Adam and John has had to say, both men and women across the board, you know, John, I hope will give Adam, I hope will give you some hope uh, that this is something that, that can be tackled and, and that the change is there and it's, it's possible that it's, you know, you, you, there is help there for you. Helen, your final word on this, please, as a food addiction therapist, what should somebody who finds themselves in Adam's situation today, what can they do to get help? I, I think I think for for people to educate themselves, I I Tara, I would be I would love if you would give um, Adam my my number and I I can have a talk off air with with Adam. We will. I I I, I will have a talk off air with and no problem whatsoever. Um, I I suppose it's like all eating disorders in in in, in Ireland at the moment. It's very very badly catered for, but there is there is a kind of a grown force that that's happening at the moment that the people. People want to help people. There's a proven, workable method that that you can arrest this illness. And the weight is only a symptom. The weight is a symptom. Yeah. It's getting the food in, in, in order, and that needs the help of OA, professional help, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that is available. So please, anybody that, that needs to have a chat, I, I would be more than happy to, to, to chat with anybody that rings in today. I would be more than happy to um, have a chat with them, maybe off air okay. and see what's available for them. OK, Helen, thank you very much. Helen O'Leary, food addiction uh, therapist. And also, uh, as you heard from John there at the start of the item, www.overeatersanonymous.ie. They have um, branches in many locations, over 50 uh, countries throughout the world and many locations across Ireland. It's free of charge um, and that is also there. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.